It's February 1314 and in a dark corner of Paris, a group of men are trying to look inconspicuous as they mingle among normal Parisians going about their business. But these men aren't concerned about what the butcher or the shopkeeper or the baker are up to. These men are spies and their instructions, which come from the king himself, are far more important than that. Their eyes are fixed not on the streets or the alleyways, but on the imposing Tour de Nel, a tower that stands on the Seine River and keeps watch over the city. As dusk approaches in the late afternoon, the men see what they had been waiting for. A group of three women hurriedly approach the tower, trying to cover their faces as best they can, and they wait outside to be granted entry. Soon after, a man opens the door and ushers the women in, looking around to see if anyone is watching them. But the king's spies are not amateur enough to be caught like that, and the man doesn't see anything untoward. That man doesn't know it yet, but he is in mortal danger. His name is Gautier d'Aunay, and he is a Norman knight who keeps watch in the tower with his brother, Philippe. That's not important in itself, but what is important is who the women are and what the purpose of their visit is. Two of those women are at the tower because they are engaged in illicit relationships with the Donet brothers, and all three of those women are French princesses, the wives of French princes the daughters-in-law of the king. All five people in the tower that night are playing with fire, and all five of them are about to get burnt. Hello again. And welcome back to the Ministry of History podcast, a podcast that aims to take a look at some of history's lesser known characters and stories. Today, we will be continuing our focus on historical scandal by discussing the Tour de Nel affair, a scandal that struck at the very heart of French royalty in the early 14th century. Two princesses were accused of conducting illicit affairs, while a third princess, who was married to no less than the heir to the French throne, was accused of covering it all up. We'll get into the background of the story and try to answer a few questions. Were the accusations actually true? Or were they just a way of pulling these women down, of getting rid of the princesses? 
who accused them? And what evidence was used to condemn them? We'll get into all of that and more. But firstly, I just need to make my usual plea for you to leave a review. Just make it simple for yourself. Hit that five star button and don't think twice about it. Good reviews really are such an important way of helping the podcast to grow. So if you have a spare moment, please do not hesitate to do so. I also just need to quickly point you towards my buy me a coffee page, which is the easiest way to donate to me. As I've said before, there are equipment costs and overheads that I need to pay for. I need some sort of donations to make this project of mine sustainable in the long term. So head over to that buy me a coffee page. The link is in the description of this podcast and donate whatever you feel like. Finally, as always, don't forget to check out the blog and my Twitter page. The blog is the Ministry of History on Google and it's the top result these days thanks to your faithful searches. There's all types of stories on there, including the written versions of a few previous podcasts. So what are you waiting for? Head over to the blog after listening to this podcast. The Twitter page, remember, is at Ministry History, all one word with no of in the middle. You'll be the first to know about the latest blogs, latest podcasts, and all the rest of it. But now, before you do any of that, allow me to take you back to early 14th century France. France, at this time, was ruled by King Philip IV, who had ascended to the throne in 1285. His nickname was Philip the Fair, but that name wasn't given to him because of any nice character traits. It was given to him because of his physical appearance. He was a striking man, tall, with blonde, fair features. Fair probably wasn't a word you would use to describe his character, but then being fair probably wouldn't have made him a good medieval king. It's not that he was an evil maniac, but he was definitely tough. Philip knew how to intimidate people. He knew how to get his own way. Indeed, around the time our story takes place, Philip was engaged in probably his most famous act as king, taking on and crushing the Knights Templar, a formidable group of warriors who the king didn't think had shown enough loyalty to him. So already, before we get into this scandal, we can see that it wasn't the best idea to get on Philip's bad side. Like any good medieval king, Philip sired several children. But for the purposes of this story, we're only interested in four of them. We're interested in his three eldest sons. That's Louis, the heir to the throne, Philip and Charles. 
And we're also interested in their younger sister, Philip's second daughter, Isabella. All four of them had politically advantageous marriages arranged for them. Isabella married the English king, Edward II, in 1308. And that marriage is a whole other story in itself. Meanwhile, the three boys were married to noblewomen from Burgundy. Louis married Margaret of Burgundy in 1305. Philip married Joan of Burgundy in 1307. And Charles married Joan's sister, Blanche of Burgundy, that same year, 1307. So, Three sons, three happy marriages, right? Not exactly. There's no evidence to suggest that they were all spectacularly unhappy marriages. It's just that these were arranged marriages, not love matches. It was of course possible that people in arranged marriages could grow to love each other. And there were numerous examples of that in medieval Europe but it didn't happen all the time. Many spouses in the medieval noble class, usually the husbands, found more excitement outside of their marriages and affairs were pretty common. Even so, affairs were definitely still frowned upon and the consequences for more egregious cases could be pretty severe. All of which takes us to 1313. Although Isabella was Queen of England, she was a regular visitor back to France. I said just a minute ago that her marriage to Edward II of England was a whole other story in itself. But for now, I'll just say that Edward's... How can I put this delicately? Close relationship with a friend, Piers Gaveston, made Isabella unsure of her position at the English court. She often met her father, Philip IV of France, to seek advice and fill him in on what was happening across the Channel. It's on one such visit back to her homeland that Isabella arrives in Paris bearing gifts specially embroidered purses for Margaret, Joan and Blanche. But those purses are going to turn out to be more than just a thoughtful present for her sisters-in-law. Those purses would eventually become the ignition for one of the biggest scandals in medieval Europe. Later that year, towards the end of 1313, the French royal brothers and their wives attended a banquet in London. The French royal posse was naturally accompanied by loads of people, hangers-on and attendants, and that group included two Norman knights, the brothers Gautier and Philippe d'Aunay. Now, Queen Isabella was known throughout Europe for her intelligence and her attention to detail. And true to form, 
she noticed something unsettling about the two brothers. She noticed that around their waists hung some fabulous custom-made purses. Where has she seen those purses before? thought Isabella. That's right. Those were exactly the same purses she had had specially made for her sisters-in-law. Now, of course, there could have been many reasons, any number of reasons, for why the Donay brothers were wearing those purses. But Isabella jumped straight to one of the worst possible conclusions. Those Norman knights must be having affairs with her brother's wives. She kept her suspicions to herself for the time being, perhaps because her son, the future Edward III of England, was only a year old at the time, so she had enough on her plate without accusing her sisters-in-law of adultery. But in early 1314, Isabella returned to France, and it's at this point that she informed her father of what she suspected. King Philip was outraged at the thought of his daughters-in-law betraying his sons, but he realised he better have some proof before he did anything about it. So it was that he ordered a group of spies to observe the princesses and the Norman knights. And sure enough, it was discovered that all three of Philip's daughters-in-law regularly met with the two knights, and two of them, Margaret and Blanche, were in fact engaged in affairs with them. After a period of surveillance, Philip decided that he'd seen enough. He had the five culprits arrested and broke the news to an astonished French court. Remember, those themes of chivalry, love, romance, they're more than just things you see in fairy tales. They were real in medieval Europe and people did generally aspire to them. Affairs were of course very common, but you weren't supposed to get caught. And you certainly weren't supposed to have affairs if you were married to the king's sons. The Donay brothers were horrifically tortured and they swiftly confessed to the affairs. Funny that. In French medieval parlance, they were guilty of causing great offence to the king. Essentially, they were guilty of treason, and they had to die. Accounts of their execution in April 1314 vary depending on what source you're looking at. But what we can know for sure is that it was absolutely horrendous. They were basically tortured to death they were likely castrated, their genitals thrown to the dogs in front of their eyes in what was a highly symbolic gesture. 
Their skin was pulled from their body, their entrails cut from their torso, before they were finally given the sweet release of death by beheading. All of this took place in a public square in Paris, lest anyone else get any ideas about going against the king. But what about the women? What was to happen to them? The surveillance had concluded that it was Margaret and Blanche who had the affairs. Joan was merely an accomplice who had helped to cover it all up. Now, executing a pair of knights from Normandy was easily done. Philip didn't need to think twice about that. But the French king knew he had to be a bit more delicate with the women. They were princesses after all. So they wouldn't suffer death, but they would still suffer a humiliating punishment. Margaret and Blanche's heads were shaven in front of the whole French court in a gesture that was designed to do nothing more and nothing less than absolutely humiliate them. After that, they were packed off to prison. Margaret was dead within two years, while Blanche died in 1328. Her marriage to Charles had been annulled soon after the whole affair was revealed. But what about Joan? The woman who was accused of covering the whole thing up? Well, actually, she seems to have been treated a lot more kindly. And that's in no small part because of her husband, the Prince Philip. He defended her before the court and begged his father not to punish her. The king relented and Joan and Philip remained married, quite happily it seems, until he died in 1322. By that time, incidentally, he had become King Philip V of France. Philip IV died the same year of the scandal, in November 1314. Now I know what you've probably been wondering through this whole episode. Was it all true? It would be tempting to think that these were all malicious rumours designed to bring the women down. But who had the motive to do that? If you're thinking King Philip, think again. His court became the laughing stock of Europe after the scandal. It would have been a pretty spectacular own goal if it was him who invented the rumours. Likewise, it's doubtful that his sons would have accused their wives of such lurid affairs. They were mocked mercilessly for not satisfying their women. So again, it would have been a pretty terrible own goal if it was them who had just made it all up. But what about their sister, Isabella, the Queen of England? After all, it was she who had made the accusations in the first place. What did she have to gain? if her sisters-in-law were removed from the picture. Remember, when she told her father of her suspicions, she had just given birth to her son, 
the future Edward III of England. And it has been argued that she wanted to get rid of her sisters-in-law to decrease the chances of one of her brothers producing an heir, therefore increasing her son's chances of laying claim to the throne of France somewhere down the line. But that does seem far-fetched. Her brothers were still young men at the time. Isabella must have realised that the marriages could be annulled, her brothers could remarry and quite easily produce an heir. As it turned out though, all of her brothers died young and Edward III did in fact lay claim to the French throne. And that, my friends, is how the Hundred Years' War started. But again, that's another story. Most historians do believe that Margaret and Blanche did in fact have affairs with the Donnay brothers. Of course they weren't the only members of the nobility to have affairs. It's possible, probable even, that their husbands, the French princes, had affairs of their own. But unfortunately for Margaret and Blanche, they seem to have forgotten the golden rule of medieval adultery. Don't get caught. And that was the Tour de Nel affair, one of the biggest scandals in medieval Europe that struck at the heart of French royalty. Join me again next week when I'll be looking at another historical scandal. 